Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Work Alchemy podcast, conversations about impact, where entrepreneurs and leaders share how they have impact, the sweet moments, and the challenges. I'm your host, Ursula York. I help entrepreneurs grow successful businesses that make a difference in the world. Impact is more than mission, more than purpose, even more than your why. Impact is where your unique self and business meet the world and contribute to making it better for all of us. These stories are here to inspire and energize you so you can have your own unique impact. Today's guest on the podcast is Peter Krull. Pete is CEO and Director of Investments at Earth Equity Advisors a leader in the responsible investing industry with clients in 22 states and $80 million in client assets. The firm is a three-time Best for the World B Corporation. Pete himself was selected as a 2018 Investopedia 100, the most influential financial advisors in America. Welcome to the podcast, Pete. I'm delighted to have you here. Thank you for having me on. It's, uh, It's a pleasure. So in this whole investment realm, people often enter this field as uh, with a focus on money, which of course is a good thing for yeah. a profitable business. Why is having impact important to you in that mix? That's a great question. You know, I started out in the investment industry with Merrill Lynch back around 1998 and impact wasn't even uh, discussed. That wasn't, that wasn't a term that we associated with investments. And so I spent about five, six years there. And in 2004, uh, I had the, uh, there was really two things going on. Uh, Number one is I was dating um, Dr. Melissa Booth, who's my wife right now. Um, (laughs) And I also had a chance to spend an afternoon with Bill McDonough, the the, the green architect, the gentleman who wrote Cradle to Cradle about circular Mm. economy. Okay. And I... So just sort of put everything together. Melissa and I were having, she, she has a PhD in microbiology and molecular genetics. So we were spending a lot of time out, a lot of time outdoors. We were talking about, you know, things that, uh, things that really matter and what our footprint was. And, and then the time talking with Bill, he was talking about how the, the paradigm needed to shift. And so I put those two things together and launched what at the time was Crowell and Company, which is now Earth Equity Advisors. Um, with really the intention to give people the option that it really matters what you own. It matters how you invest your money. It matters the, the, the kind of energy you put out into the world. And so we have had that ethic since 2004. And in June, so just a couple months from now, we'll actually have our 15, 15 year anniversary as a firm. Wow, congratulations. Thank you. Well, you, I know you only offer socially and environmentally responsible investments, so your investments are completely fossil fuel free. So you've really gone all in on this. Some firms have an impact focus, but not necessarily across the board. Have you been able to, I mean, the, the eternal question on the part of investors is always, can I get market rate investments with an impact focus? And right. what's been your experience in that? Without getting into too much detail, because we're a very highly regulated industry, as you know, um, mm-hmm. but in general terms, yes, you can you can um, get competitive returns investing with your values um, pretty much across the board. Depend, no matter which type of investing you're, uh, which type of investments you're using, you know, either it's stocks, domestic, international, small cap, emerging market, etc. 
or on the bond side as well. And I would argue that you actually are taking less risk because if you look at the possibility for things such as stranded assets, and stranded assets just basically means that a uh, an oil or a fossil fuel company that can no longer you know either extract oil or dig coal or whatever whatever natural resource um, they is core to their business. If you can no longer do that because obviously of climate change or or other you know regulatory issues, those are assets that they'll never be able to to access, and mm-hmm. it's it's riskier than you will find with with other investments. And if you look at the performance of the uh, XLE, which is the the energy sector in, uh, exchange traded fund, it actually has tremendously underperformed the market over the past several years. Uh, and I don't necessarily see that changing going forward. Mm. Yeah, I never thought about it in from that perspective. Um, well, how do you how do you find vehicles for your clients with impact within with the impact criteria that you use? Have you or have you developed your own as some firms do? How how does it work within? I've been doing this a long time, so there's a lot of what my business partner Neil Yelverton calls just institutional knowledge. Um, but I've got a I've got a uh, access to um, something called Morningstar Direct, which is uh, a, a deep analytical tool, and it includes not only just the, the basic kind of information that you want to know, you know, what are the holdings within, say, a mutual fund or another kind of investment, um, mm-hmm. but it also has uh, additional layered on information from a company called Sustainalytics, which also um, rates individual equities based on a, a wide range of environmental, social, and governments um, metrics. So every, every investment that we use, I've gone through pretty much with a fine tooth comb. Uh, we like to say when, you know, when clients come to us and they've got a traditional portfolio, they typically have a bunch of mutual funds that are a black box. You simply don't know what's in them. You know, it's the ABC growth fund or, you know, something like that, but you don't really know what's under the hood. And so my, one of my biggest jobs here at the firm is to know what's under the hood, both in assets that are coming to us, because we've got a lot of clients that come to us with traditional investments and what we're going to put them into. And so I'm looking to see, you know, are there any fossil fuels in there? Are there weapons? Is there tobacco? Is there, are there other companies that our clients would deem irresponsible or that they would not be comfortable that wouldn't align with what their values are. We also have a, a fund which is about, it's over six years old now called the Green Sage Sustainability Portfolio, which is a, an individual stock portfolio that we launched, interestingly, at the request of a gentleman named Randy Talley, who is a good friend of mine now, but he's, mm-hmm. he was one of the uh, founders of the Earth Fair grocery store chain. Um, and also the Green Sage Cafes here in Asheville. And he's a natural foods pioneer here in North Carolina. And he came to me over coffee one day and said, I want to own a basket of sustainable stocks. And <laughs> I said, I think we can do that. And so that was six years ago. And, you know, after asking him if we could uh, brand it through, uh, you know, Green Sage, which of course he, he let us do, um, you know, we've grown that to a, a multi-million dollar fund now that, uh, we have clients all over the country in. Oh, that's great. What a, what a great start to a new fund. Absolutely. Yeah. 
And you have a quite a varied practice. You work with individuals, institutions, businesses, nonprofits. Do you is that a variety that you like to see? Why did you choose that that variety? Well, I think it it really is about impact. Um, you know, in terms of individuals, people really want to have an associate a close association with uh, with the kind of investments they have. They want to understand. That's why people come to us. They we have clients in twenty two states, so they come to us from all over specifically to help them align their investments with their values. Um, on the nonprofit side and the institutional side, it is it, it's a different market. Uh, it's a market where um, I think for us, we try to work with like environmental nonprofits, other social um, um, social helping kind of nonprofits, because a lot of times what we see is we'll have a we'll have it we'll say an environmental nonprofit come to us or a church come to us and say, you know, here's our endowment monies, here's what we've got, and their investments are in direct contradiction to the mission that the organization has. And so mm. they're sort of shooting, their, shooting themselves in the foot in a way. And so what we like to do is be able to come in and say, okay, let's reallocate things. Let's pull it out of, you know, the fossil fuels. Let's pull it out of guns. Let's pull it out of, um, you know, sweatshops or whatever, you know, whatever area is in there that is not aligned with their values. And let's set you on a, on a course going, going forward. Yeah, I think people feel like they they have to because of due diligence and you know achieving a certain rate of return. They they can't afford to go down that road of impact investing entirely. So and that's a myth. Uh, that I, I think it's yeah. really important to to make sure that people understand that it's a myth that you that you're going to give up return by uh, investing with your values. Um, Jeremy Grantham, who is a hedge fund manager. Uh, gave a talk at the Morningstar Investment Conference last year in Chicago. And, you know, he manages billions and billions of dollars of, of assets. He did a study, or he had his people do a study of what happens to investment return when you extract uh, a, a sector. So, you know, they took a look at all sectors across the board, everything from, you know, consumer, consumer products to energy to technology, uh, healthcare, et cetera. And what they found when they did the study was that if you take out one sector, and for us that would be taking out fossil fuels, it has no uh, negative impact on your performance going going back decades. Wow, I mean that's dramatic yeah. because you know, fossil fuels are a common investment. Oh yeah, tool, it's typically it, you know if you look in the S and P five hundred or any other major uh, large cap index, it's typically anywhere between four and 7% of the, of the index. It's a little bit on the light side right now because um, oil has not performed well for the past several years. So it's, it's allocation is a little less, but you know, if you look over the history, it's about four to 7%, which is a considerable, it's a considerable amount of money when you, uh, when you really think about it. And I, I certainly don't want my clients to have their money in it. And our clients are very happy to, uh, to exclude that sector. Sure. Yeah, I, something that I think is often confusing for people is there's different terms that float around out there if you have an interest mm -hmm. in impact investing. So there's that term, impact investing. There's socially responsible investing. And then there's ESG, mm -hmm. so environmental social governance investing. So I know there's overlap, in, yeah. but what do each of those mean to you? What, what should people know about the differences and the commonalities? Well, impact typically are private investments. 
So I think you've had a gentleman named Michael Welchel on your on the podcast before mm-hmm. uh, with Big Path, and they do they do what I would call as true impact. So they're actually putting money into private companies that um, are having a direct impact, you know, environmental or in social areas. And so not everybody, because of the way the SEC works and because of the way um, investments work, has a has a chance to invest in in true impact because you typically need to be an accredited investor to, to get into those kind of investments. So you've got to have at least a million dollars. Most, mm-hmm. most folks uh, who want to have an impact can't do so. So they will turn to something, which is what we do, which is socially and environmentally responsible investing or ESG. They're, they're very similar. Um, the ESG is environmental, social, and governance. And it's a little bit more quantitative than I think we do. So like I mentioned earlier, there's a company called Sustainalytics, and they are able to quantify each of the E, the S, and the G to give a rating. The negative with that is that they're, they're not necessarily excluding fossil fuels or any particular sector. They're just simply scoring everybody. So you could have a fossil fuel company that throws a lot of money into their communities, into neighborhoods, into other social uh, aspects that also has good corporate governance that can theoretically score high on an ESG rating, but it doesn't take into account the fact that they're spewing, you know, tons and tons of CO2 into the atmosphere. And mm-hmm. so I think that's, that's sort of the, the, the difference between ESG and what, what we do, which I consider socially and environmentally responsible or just responsible investing, because I think mm-hmm. there's, there's nuance to it. And, you know, we draw the line with fossil fuels. There's no fossil fuels in there. Uh, and again, there's no weapons. There is limited uh, health and biotech. It's a, that biotech is a, is a really difficult one because there are so many good innovations coming out. But we also have a lot of clients who are also who also want to be cruelty free. Uh, and mm-hmm. so, you know, in order to develop some of the biotech um, um, cures or, or treatments, you know, they have to be able to test them somehow. And so it's a really, really fine line. So we're able to, to shift if necessary for clients who don't want to uh, have money in that area. Um, mm-hmm. the, other, the other big issue, and I think you brought it up earlier, is this um, difference between divestment, which is sort of what we believe in on the fossil fuel side, and engagement. You know, engagement means that I'm going to use my shares to vote my proxy, to push the com- push companies to be better. And we believe in engagement. We just don't believe in engagement with fossil fuel companies. Um, mm. Exxon is never going to suddenly say, hey, you know what? You guys are right. We're going to stop drilling for oil. It, it's just not going to happen. Um, can they improve their practices? Maybe. Do they want to? Probably not. Um, I would much rather take that money and reallocate that money into a company that's making a positive difference than to sort of hold my breath and hope that my shareholder vote is going to get them to change. Mm, yeah. Well, um, yeah, I think that's, that's a really good point and a good way to look at it. And to go back to your point about biotech companies, it's a realm that I've done some work in and it's, it's a tough one because there are many accepted practices in that industry as there are in others uh, that makes it, perhaps more challenging to kind of completely follow the, the clean, for, for lack of a better word, path from an impact standpoint. 
So, and of course, no company is perfect. Right. So. And that's, and that's a yeah. real, that's a, actually an even, an even better point is that you're never going to have a perfect socially and environmentally responsible portfolio. There is all kinds of shades of gray, but what our job is here is to make it as good as possible. Uh, because, um, we are, a, as, as a registered investment advisor, we are a fiduciary. And that means that we have to do what's in the client's best interest. And that also means that we need to have diversified portfolios. I can't just buy a client a whole bunch of solar stocks and say, hey, you know what, they're, they're good to go. Um, <laughs> it just doesn't work that way. And so, sure. you know, we've got that responsibility. And I'm proud that we're a fiduciary because what that means is that the only thing we can do is what's in the client's best interest. We don't receive money from mutual funds or outside investment companies saying, Hey, why don't you use, why don't you use our product with your clients? So mm -hmm. there's a, there's a wall there that we can't cross. And um, I think that's as a registered investment advisor, that's a, a really important distinction that when, when somebody is looking to work with somebody, uh, a financial advisor, that they make sure that they're, they're a registered investment advisor and a fiduciary. Mm -hmm. Well, um, related to the things we've just been talking about, there's that term greenwashing mm -hmm. that, gets, uh, that gets used. Can you speak a little bit to that? Sure. Uh, I, I wrote an article on it, I think about a year and a half ago or so, mm -hmm. and it's one of the more popular ones that I've put out. Uh, you know, greenwashing, for lack of a better word, is you know, an organization uh, that says we're doing all this great stuff, but all it is is marketing and PR. There's really nothing behind it. And uh, a lot of the due diligence that I, that I spend time on in deciding which investments to put our clients in is to basically see through the, the, the haze of all the greenwashing that's going on. Because what's happening is there are so many uh, investment firms out there now that are saying, oh, we see that uh, millennials and women really uh, want to have responsible investments. Let's put a new... Uh, low carbon product out there. Let's put a new, a new responsible investment product out there. And they are better, I will say that, but they're not good. And it takes a lot of time to really go through the offerings and see, okay, it's nice that it says it's an ESG fund, but let's look under the hood and see what it really owns. There's, um, there, there's several digital uh, portals out there right now and we're actually working on one for ourselves it's not available yet but it will be in the next few months but a uh, digital investment uh, platforms out there that I just read a some ratings on and you know one of them has a, a I think it's a cruelty-free portfolio and they have Hormel Foods in it and I just was sort of scratching my head I'm like well I'm not sure if you can get any more, I'm not a vegetarian, but I'm not sure if you can get any more cruel to an animal than butchering it to put it in a can. Uh -huh. um, you know, and I think the reason why they, they said, oh, we, we, we've added this to the portfolio is because they say they have a, they now have a animal welfare um, employee who, who monitors uh, animal welfare. And I'm just like, yeah, that's, uh, if I, it is the definition of greenwashing right there. And so I think, you know, if, if people are going to, if they do make that decision to, to switch over to a socially and environmentally responsible uh, portfolio, to do so carefully, to really do your due diligence or, or to find a, a firm like us who specializes in it. 
because there's a lot of conflicting information out there and it's easy to just read the read the um read the title without actually seeing what's uh, what the content is mm -hmm. yeah i hadn't thought about food companies and not falling within that uh, impact focus i mean i i'm not a vegetarian so uh, and I, I wrestle with that. I have qualms yeah. uh, on an on ongoing basis. So uh, you've really given me something else to think about in that in that whole realm and in my personal practice as well. Yeah. Well, I, I know that the the forum for sustainable and responsible investment that uh, there I, I think from 2016 to 2018 social and responsible investing went up 38% and now a quarter of investments under professional management in the U.S. are in that realm. Um, we're on $12 trillion. Dollars. Yeah. So that's very encouraging that there's been this, this increase and on a steady basis because even five years ago when I was looking for um, socially res responsible investments, it was a challenge to even find a, a fund. So it's good and bad, right? Because as this yeah. grows, you get more you get more junk, for lack of a better word. Um, but you also get more people who are experienced and who uh, take it seriously. And you know, one in one in four dollars are in some form of responsible investing. Though that might mean they do screening. So that might simply mean they screen out. It might be a religious fund, and they screen out alcohol, tobacco, and gambling. So it could be that. It might be one that is a lot more stringent like us, where we exclude fossil fuels, we exclude uh, weapons, um, we do shareholder advocacy. It might be one that does that, or it might be one who do just does shareholder advocacy, or it might be a firm that just does community investments. And so it, there's a wide variety of opportunities that fill that, that $12 trillion number. But I mean, really think about that, $12 trillion, that is a lot of assets um, mm -hmm. And that has a, there's a lot of uh, lot of impact with that, and that is small relative to Europe. Europe actually has has more assets in responsible investments than we do here in the states. Hmm. Interesting. I mean, I know their policies have been certainly more in that direction. So it's it's so good to hear that the the uh, capital market is following. Yep. Yeah. Well, a lot of these things are decisions that you make within a company in terms of what you choose to focus on. And I know you've been honored with the 2018 Investopedia 100 as one of the most influential financial advisors in the U.S. Earth, Earth, Earth Equity Advisors is a three-time Best of the World B Corp. What does all that mean to you in terms of the impact that Earth Equity is having itself beyond I know, think, your, your focus on impact investing? I think it's a validation that we're doing the right thing. The, uh, especially the Investopedia, because Investopedia is not about um, responsible investing. It is just a general investment platform. And the fact that they recognize that you know, the content that we're putting out, the influence that we're having, uh, ranks us in the top 100, tells me that we're doing the right thing. The, uh, the, the B Corporation uh, honors are truly that. They, they really are honors, and I'm, I'm super proud of them. Uh, we've been a B Corporation for, I think, five years now. That sounds about right. Um, and we had the, for the last three, we have been best for the world, which means that we rank in the category of uh, customers, 
So how we treat our customers, the products we offer our customers, uh, we're in the top 10% of B corporations worldwide, and there is around 2,500 B corps worldwide. And we also are a best for the world in terms of change makers. So that means that we're pushing the envelope and um, trying to shift the paradigm. So I, I think it's great. I think, again, that it, uh, it uh, says that we're doing the right thing and that uh, it's, it's good to know that somebody's recognizing that. Yeah. What way, in what ways is Earth Equity pushing the envelope? Um, I think that we're pushing the envelope just simply by saying it's okay to not invest in fossil fuels. It's okay to not invest traditionally. The, mm -hmm. There are so many folks who go to their traditional financial advisor and say, I'm really uncomfortable owning these things. And they are basically told, if you if you switch, you're not going to perform as well. You're not going to be as well diversified. Your your uh, portfolios are, aren't going to do as well. And you know we're constantly pushing those folks. We get uh, unfortunately sometimes we we anger some of the traditional investment folks when we take accounts from them. But you know the the studies are continuing to show that the demand for responsible investing is going up and up and up. And they need to do they either need to evolve and actually start to take it seriously, or they're just going to fade off into irrelevance. Yeah, um, I think it's, it's kind of pushing things too when people like Larry Fink at BlackRock say that they're only going to commit to companies. I mean, he's, he's a hugely, BlackRock is hugely yeah. influ influential in the investing realm, but they are only going to invest in companies that uh, are following that focus. I think that there, it seems like we've kind of at a, at a tipping point or just beyond it, perhaps. Yeah. And, and Larry gets it. I think that, you know, he's a, he's a rudder on a very big ship. Um, mm -hmm. And so it's going to take a while for them to really be able to implement it across their, I don't know how many trillions of dollars in assets they manage. Um, but just the fact that it's coming from him, I think, is really impactful. And it will shift the market. It will be slow but it, it will make, it will happen. Mm -hmm. Well, um, I wonder what your views are on the respective roles of impact investing, philanthropy, and government, because there's a lot of discussion about what role can each of those play in affecting real social and environmental mm -hmm. change at scale? Yeah. Um, I'll start with government. Um, we actually need to have regulations in place that A, push us in the right direction and B are enforceable. It's, it's all well and good to put, uh, to put laws in place that want to push us towards a more sustainable economy, but we also need to be able to enforce those rules. And so that's, that's first and foremost, I think that government needs to take a lead. Um, you know, impact or just private industry in general um, is where the innovation is going to have to come from. And we're not going to innovate ourselves out of climate change. It's here. It's happening. Um, but we are going to have to innovate and be resilient with its effects and to minimize its effects as much as possible. And there is profit to be made in that. And, you know, I don't, I don't want to be seen as a profiteer because I don't think that's at all what we are. I think we're really pushing the envelope to uh, make the world a better place. Um, but from a from an innovation perspective, it's going to have to come uh, mostly from private money because government has really ceded that leadership uh, of 
investing in R&D anymore. And my wife's a scientist and, you know, over the years, uh, uh, her years in academia, she just consistently saw grant opportunities for basic science and basic research just drop and drop and drop. Uh, so it's just simply, it's not there anymore. And on the nonprofit side, I think that, you know, they have a, nonprofits have a big impact on, on locally. You know, I've been, I've been the chair of Mountain True here in, in Asheville. Uh, my business partner, Neil, is the chair of Dogwood Alliance. Uh, Which are both environmental focused nonprofits. Absolutely. And, you know, are also very impactful on a local basis. And so I think the, Nonprofits have a, a big role to play in education, in making change, and holding government accountable. And a lot of that's on a local basis. Mm -hmm. Well, one of the things that um, I know is, is part of the B Corp kind of identity or the, some of the things that, that certification addresses is the question of transparency. And... It's a tricky thing in an industry that's as highly regulated as yours. How I saw you posted on your site about your annual charitable donations, yep. and that's a. Um, what's your, what are your thoughts around the transparency and impact? I think transparency at the end of the day is one of the most important things that we can, uh, one of the most important fundamentals that we can put forth. Um, it's not just industry; it's government. Uh, it's, I won't get into politics here, but there certainly is lots of transparency um, breakdowns that we're seeing right now. Um, and in industry as well, there, there, there needs to be a, a level of transparency that the public realizes that it's not, you know, if, you can, I, if you're as old as I am, you sort of picture the old cartoon with the, uh, with the, um, the guy tying the woman to the railroad tracks and he's, uh, you know, he looks like a villain. Uh, private industry is not that. Um, the, 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 that's where I'm looking for here. The, the trust that has, has left. Now I don't, I'm not saying that everybody should be trusted because you look at Exxon and, you know, the, the information that they hid about their knowledge of climate change is uh, criminal. And I think, and they're actually being investigated because of that. Um, so that's a that's a transparency issue right there. Uh, we also talk about transparency, and I'm shifting here mid talk, so I apologize for that. Um, but we also talk about transparency when it comes to political donations. And since Citizens United decision, corporations have been pretty much given free reign to write checks to political campaigns, and right. you know they're not writing checks. Because out of the goodness of their heart, they're writing checks because they want something in return. And there is something fundamentally wrong um, with our democracy when uh, a corporation can buy a politician. And yeah. so that's a huge area of transparency. And that's a huge area where shareholder advocacy comes to play. And you'll see a lot, USSAF uh, in their latest report, that's one of the things that they, that they talk about is uh, a lot of shareholder Proposals that have come forth in the last six, eight years or so have been about political contribution and lobbying transparency. Hmm. Well, you raise an important issue about shareholder responsibility, and part of that is is what the work you're doing. Mm -hmm. uh, but even even advocacy on a more vocal level is an opportunity to to have impact as well. Sure. 
Yeah. Well, uh, Pete, I'd love to um, kind of switch gears a little bit okay. and just get into uh, uh, a bit about you, you and your relationship with your business and how you manage your energy. And something that gets talked about a lot lately is this whole thing about having a morning ritual. So do you, do you have one? And if you do, why? And what is it? I've tried to have a morning ritual for a long time. <laughs> So I'll go, let me go back um, a little bit here. So I, I attended a Jack Canfield um, event in 2010 uh, and again in 2013, his breakthrough to success. Uh, and they were tr very powerful. And that was one of the things that he talks about is having routines, having, having a morning routine or having something where that centers you. Um, you know, for me, uh, I hate to say it, but that's been one of my one of the things that I haven't been able to do. I, I go to I go to the gym Monday, Wednesday, Friday in the morning. I come in, I have my breakfast. Um, but I the, my biggest struggle, I will tell you, is with a meditation practice um, mm. because I truly understand the, the power of it. I understand the need for it. Um, I have been unable to this point to to integrate that to be a true practice. Well, and I think it's challenging for a lot of people, especially if you're a high energy kind of person, just sitting there and uh, seemingly emptying your mind, which is a misconception. It's it's really challenging to enter into that. Well, and oh. I mean, we're a small firm. We have five employees, but um, because, you know, this is my baby, I founded it. I grew it to a point. I brought Neil on as a partner about five years, five or six years ago. Um, but I still have a lot of hats to wear here from CEO to director of investments to financial advisor. I have still have some individual clients that I work with. Um, mm -hmm. And so I think from a um, structure perspective, I, I'm, I'm fairly decent at knowing what I'm doing when, you know, I, I limit the days that I have client meetings. Um, when, when we uh, work on our portfolios, I've got specific days of the month when, when I work on that. Um, you know, but I also, my, my degree is actually in communication. So I do a lot of the marketing of the firm as well. So there's a lot of hats that I'm wearing. And it seems like every day I've got a little bit of each of those to, uh, to handle. Uh, luckily, uh, the rest of the team handles operations, which is um, not my favorite thing to do. I, I really <laughs> do get to, get to um, focus on the things that I enjoy, which is the investment management and the marketing of the firm. Um, but, you know, there's there's still always a thing here and there to do. Yeah, yeah, and having that variety, while it's great from one perspective, it's a challenge then to manage not getting diffused or scattered by having multiple areas. How do you manage that? Do you do you set chunks of time aside? I try to set chunks of time aside. Um, mm -hmm. I also am big on you know using my to do lists. Uh, in my in, in the computer here and um, I go through cycles with that too just like anything else where uh, there will be a bunch of things coming up because we'll have our annual speaking event coming up or we'll um, you know we'll have a, a big new client or I'll have to redo a green sage portfolio gets redone twice a year so I, I'll have that coming up so um, when I when I when I really need those lists they're there and I can really focus on them and when I, uh, when I don't need them, I will shy away from them a little bit. But 
um, because I have so many interests, it's, it's hard sometimes. And I don't, I'm not an ADD kind of person, but um, I have enough interests, I think, that I can stay busy all day and all of a sudden it's six o'clock and I'm like, where the hell did my day go? <laughs> right. I think, I think you're definitely not alone in that, for sure. Well, Pete, the way I uh, always wrap up these interviews is with a rapid round of three questions. Are you, are you game? I'm game. Okay, great. And I have been not, not and, and I specifically said I do not want to know the questions beforehand. So these are purely organic. So <laughs> great. I love the spontaneity. So, uh, first question is what's the biggest thing you've learned about having impact? That it doesn't matter how big you are, that everybody can have an impact. And, you know, it's the whole, um, the whole thing about, being alone in a room with a mosquito mm -hmm. and you know one person or one entity can have a huge impact uh it just all deal it all is um, based on perspective so we're we're a small firm uh we're a fast growing firm but we're having a big impact that's great well the second question is what's the one thing you've consistently done that's contributed to your success and impact the most um i don't stop uh, I have been told no more times than I could ever imagine that I would have been told no. Um, and I just move on to, 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 and say next. Uh, that was one of the things that uh, I knew before I went to the Canfield uh, event, but was really reinforced uh, going through there is, you know, there's seven plus billion people on the planet here. When one person says no, that just means that you can cross one off. <laughs> That's a great way, great perspective. What's one insight or piece of advice you'd share with another business owner who's asking themselves, I want, I want to have more impact. How can I do that? I'm going to, this is, this is going to quasi answer that. I'm, I want to, I'm going to tell you my, my general business answer is mm -hmm. don't be afraid to make mistakes. I think that uh, we're, our culture has gotten to this point where we all have to be so perfect that um, we're always looking at the risk. You know, when, when we, from an investment perspective, when we look back to um, 2000 and the dot-com crash, we saw so many investments decided, uh, risk management came into play, and investments can no longer actually, investors can't be investors anymore. They have to manage to an index. And I don't think that that's a, a good way to be managing assets. I think that people need to be able to use their, their, their brains. They need to be able to use their intuition to make the right, right choices. And you're not always going to make that right choice. And you have to be free to do that. And that's what I tell all my employees here is, you know what? You're going to screw up. And when you do, admit it, understand what happened, and move on. Because if, if people aren't giving, given an opportunity to, to make mistakes, they don't have any freedom. And I think that uh, one of the most important things that business owners can do is, is embrace, uh, embrace that challenge of allowing people to make mistakes. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that's so empowering for people because uh, it just removes some of the fear of, yeah. of that. Yeah. Well, Pete, thank you so much for being here today. I, I really appreciate your perspective on socially responsible investing and that whole realm of uh, really taking a very 
across the board view and offering something to people and organizations that is, are, is really powerful. So thank you for being here. Oh, it's been fun. I, I, I really enjoy, uh, you had great questions for me and I, I love this topic. So thank you. Great. My pleasure. Well, if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to reach you? All right. The, the website is really easy. It's investwithyourvalues.com. And uh, to, to give us a call, it's uh, 877-235-3684. Okay, great. Well, thank you, Pete. And thank you for the work you're doing in the world. Thank you. So thank you very much. And uh, have a great rest of your day. Join us for more episodes. Subscribe to the Work Alchemy podcast on iTunes or Stitcher Radio so you'll know as soon as new episodes are available. You can even help spread the word. Leave a review if you like what you've heard. Thanks for listening. Until next time, for ongoing support so you can have your own impact, join our community of entrepreneurs like you by liking the Work Alchemy Facebook page.